0: Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Mm Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network here live on Facebook, YouTube, and on LinkedIn. It is October 29th at 10 a.m. on the East Coast. As you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network to be a place where salespeople can come and hang out, share stories, share your successes, your challenges, ask for advice. We've got lots of great people here. Uh, I've invited a lot of my competitors. We're all happy to give you excellent information. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, I bring you either a live Mm -hmm. training from me or a guest who can add some value to the profession of sales. And once again, my friends, today is no exception. I'm actually going to read his uh, introduction, which I don't usually do, but it's so good that I couldn't do any better. So Russ Riendo is a longtime executive recruiter. I was a recruiter for five years, and he was the, he's the founder of New Frontier Search Company. In the last 36 years, he's placed over 6,000 sales, marketing, and management professionals throughout North America. He is also, and you'll find this interesting like I did, he's also a behavioral scientist and one of only 1,000 Mayo Clinic-trained wellness coaches in the world that have gone through their training program. This guy never sleeps. He's written 12 books. He's lectured at Northwestern, DePaul, University of Chicago. He's delivered seven TEDx talk presentations, seven. Amazing. And if you're watching this and looking to understand what you need to do to take your income, your career, and your personal wealth and wellness to the next next level in this COVID influenced world, you're in the right place, my friends. It's my pleasure to introduce you and to welcome Russ Rindo. Good morning, Russ.
1: Good morning, everybody. Jeff, good morning, sir. Good morning, everybody out there in COVID land.
0: <laughs> hey, yeah. Russ, your, your, your bio says you grew up in Chicago in the late 60s, and we've spoken briefly. I grew up in Chicago, too. How did the, the Chicago in the late
1: 60s influence you? Uh, I, was, I, li- I lived a very sheltered life, uh, even though I grew up in Chicago. Growing up in the suburbs, uh, you know, I grew up in Rolling Meadows. So our experience of, quote, Chicago was getting on a school bus with a bunch of the other Catholic kids uh, in third to eighth grade and going down to see the Chicago Symphony. Um, but Chicago was always, you know, it, it's strong work ethic. Um, people stay connected, people, you know, parents move next door to their kids, God forbid. Um, so, um, Chicago is, you know, it's, it's still home to me. I, I, I don't think I will ever leave here, uh, especially with uh, kids and grandkids around. So, uh, Yeah, it was a big impact in the um, all the history that went on in the 60s, you know, so it's a cool town.
0: Yeah. As you know, I, I grew up there, too. I moved to New York when I was 17 and I consider myself a New Yorker now. But there's that Midwestern boy that uh, keeps me kind of centered and uh, it, it, it's useful wherever I go. So if people don't like New Yorkers. I'm just oh, well, I'm actually from Chicago. And if people like New Yorkers, oh, yeah, right. I'm a tied in the wool New Yorker. Yeah. Is that
1: is that kind of a disclaimer? You don't want to admit it. You know, it's, it's like a closet New Yorker, you know, um, but that's OK. We'll always welcome you back.
0: Well, here's the thing. You know, sometimes I'm in uh, Podunk, Iowa, for, <clears throat> for example, and uh, they don't always love uh, wisecracking Jews from New York. So I'll give them the yes. I'm a Midwestern boy too. Uh, I'll be a chameleon. Good morning, Steve. Hi. Good to see you, my friend. Ben <laughs> Gibbs. Always happy to see you here on Friday. And Fran Cole Heveler down from Texas. Good to see you. So Good morning, um, you uh, you you do a lot of different things. I want to ask you some questions about sales to get started. Um you talk about three critical elements that salespeople overlook in their professional development to earn more money. What, what, what can they do? What are those elements?
1: That's a great, a great question. The um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of things for, for salespeople um, that they can do. And and what I'd like to do uh, to Jeff is, is as, as you and I um, have this uh, dialogue is <clears throat> for all you boys and girls listening out there, Anything we talk about, some of the things we're, you know, Jeff and I, uh, you know, will be, some of this will be very blunt. Um, COVID, COVID world has created a scenario where we really have to be aware of what's going on in how people make decisions, the stress, the anxiety that people are under. There's a lot of areas where we need to give people grace and give ourselves some grace in in knowing what's going on here in, in the influence of COVID. So, what we talk about here, I want you to know we have good intentions. We are we're going to use some some generalizations, but we want you to take this with with the spirit that we're here to help you. We're not here to criticize. So if if something strikes a raw nerve with you, just let it go. Just can you know just let just absorb everything we're talking about, then process it and send us hate mail later if you don't like you know something that we said. But uh, <clears throat> so I want to make sure that everybody knows. We're 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 all in this together to quote Red Green. Um, yes, three three critical elements that uh, that that salespeople miss. I, I would say there's there's three things. One, just as a general result, one is is understanding a deeper motivation. Salespeople always talk about people people say I want to get into sales because what? Because I can make unlimited income. But salespeople limit their income because they don't one they don't really understand the deeper motivation. why are they in sales? Well I like people so do I sometimes I don't but but undertakers like people too right So why don't you be an undertaker you can make some decent money and uh, <clears throat> you know there's always something in the fridge um, but the but one is understanding a deeper motivation why why are you here? What do you want in life? what are your? Um, what are your motivators? What are your strengths and weaknesses that that you work on? So one is really understanding um, what you're working for, right? Work is overrated. And if your whole identity, and this happens more with men than women, but if your whole identity is around what you do and how much money you make, you're going to be one sad puppy come the end of your work career when you get laid off and, and they send you off into the sunset. So one is understanding deeper motivation. Number two is goal setting, is people, salespeople need to keep raising the bar for themselves to understand, to achieve the goals that are tied into your direct motivation. Jeff, I'll give you a great example. How many people out there, if I said, here's a question I asked, I've asked literally to thousands of salespeople and sales managers over the years. If I asked you the question, if you made $25,000 more next year, would your life change? What do you think most people say when I ask that question? If Jeff, if you made $25,000 more next year, uh, would your life change? I'm guessing that most people say yes. Most people say no. They say, they think about it. Hmm, I'm going to ponder. And most people, I'm not here again. We're, let, let's just say ballpark, they're making 100 grand <clears throat> as a salesperson. Uh, now, my life really wouldn't change that much if I made 20, 25000 more. Do you see just what happened? So what you're telling me is it really doesn't matter if you make twenty five thousand dollars more. Is that what you're telling me? No, I didn't say that. I think you did, because <laughs> you just said you don't think it would matter. So then the candidate uh, they they say, well, well, Russ, <clears throat> I would never say that, you know, out loud or in an interview. <clears throat> I think you would because you just said it to me. So here's the thing: is if 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 we look at Twenty-five thousand, which isn't—it's a lot of money. But if we look at twenty-five thousand, if twenty-five thousand more next year is twenty-five percent of your income, in four years you've picked up a whole year of income, right? So if if you don't recognize that twenty-five thousand leads to another twenty-five thousand, then we have to rechange our priorities because there's something wrong. Because that, that twenty-five thousand you make—forget taxes for a minute. But that 25,000 is going to multiply into 125,000. And even if you do that four years in a row and you make 25,000 more, all of a sudden you've got 300,000 in 15 to 20 years. That's a lot of money. You know so, so having that goals and understanding what money can do for you is important. Uh, the third thing uh, prior is skills development. and that's why it's great to have people here. Little pop quiz for everybody: What percent of salespeople have read a bought or Kindle or audio have read a sales training book since COVID? What percent do you think of salespeople? I'm going with zero. Ninety percent. Ninety percent have read a book. Have not read a book. Oh, have not. Okay, got have it. Have not. Ninety <clears> percent <throat> of salespeople, and these aren't these aren't my opinions. You can. Go Google research. 90% of peop- salespeople and, and sales managers as well have not read a book on the new world at work. The, the COVID world has, and this and, and we could even, if, if I take that stat and even go 20 years ago, that, that stat was still about the same. What percentage of people have read a, a sales training book in the last two years? The answer is 90% have not read a book. Uh, and if they should read a book, they should read Lee, Lee Saul's book, Selling Different, which is a phenomenal book. Everybody ought to go and buy a copy and give one to every one of your customers. You'll score a big points. phenomenal, phenomenal read. Yep. But sales training, skills development is why people's income stalls. We may talk about that in a bit. But skills development is one of the three in that trinity of why salespeople need to, to take ongoing training. Well, my company doesn't provide sales training. Well, boo-hoo, that's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's Russ Inc. It's Jeff Inc. It's your income, your responsibility. So if if you don't develop your skills, if you don't study your craft, you're not going to increase your income. You're going to stall and stagnate. Your skills atrophy. And what's going to happen? Your income is going to stagnate. And and that's where some of that job change um, can occur as well is, is if you're not developing those skills. Um, here's another quiz. What is one? Do you know what the one uh, element of behavior? I'm not sure what how you describe that, but if I said there was one thing that we have as humans that correlate to success. I'm, I'm asking the question poorly. Uh, what's the one thing that we can influence that correlates to success?
0: Our mindset, our belief in ourselves a, that we can be successful.
1: Belief. That's important. Yeah. But um, I'm doing a bad job. Like I can
0: taking <laughs> massive action towards success, like reading likes. Look, I'm always proactive. Um, yeah. I'm always amazingly impressed. Uh, and, and this might sound self-serving, but when somebody hires me to be their personal sales coach, I'm like, "Yeah, baby! Not only are you, you know, helping me pay my mortgage and take care of my kids, but you're investing in yourself."
1: Right, right, and th- and that's so true. Uh, you know, the the uh, the old analogy. What's what's the Latin phrase? It's like uh, reduce ridicio." It's uh, the Latin phrase that that means "reduced to ridiculous." So, all you sales uh, people out there, understand that. Right. The great example is. For only 10 cents a day, you can feed a starving kid somewhere in a third world country. For as little as a cup of coffee. Right. And we use that analogy if it, in sales all the time. I use it working with clients as, you know, as a, as a, to, to create some things. But most people spend more on their Starbucks than they have in investing in their personal career. But the one thing that correlates to success, financial success and overall business success, is vocabulary. Now, I don't want to bamboozle your audience with a cacophony, Jeff, of all kinds of literary nomenclature. Far be it from me to come across as an erudite. (laughs) Um, What the hell did I just say? But um, but vocabulary is the number one thing that will correlate to success. Unfortunately, most people's vocabulary uh, starts to uh, uh tap out at somewhere around 20. if you study vocabulary i have a a scrolling vocabulary words on my uh on my screensaver on my computer so i just have scrolling words every day i see all kinds of different words but vocabulary is powerful not because you're going to use all these words there's working vocabulary and then there's understanding vocabulary the more words you understand the easier it is for you to relax and pay attention to people so if you want to do anything that is is increase your vocabulary and that is a correlation to success that a lot of people don't think about so i don't know if that answered uh, part of that question Um, Yeah, it's great yeah
0: i i i think the the caution there from me would be that yes look i'm a big fan of you know being able to understand and speak well and learning and and having a great vocabulary but the danger is don't try to dazzle your prospect with your brilliance they're not impressed with it of course, you need to sound intelligent, but we can dazzle them with, with brilliance and lose them. Right. Uh, what I suggest is people want to have a real person-to-person conversation, but I, I'm with you a million right. percent. Uh, yeah. The other thing that came to me uh, when you were talking about why do people go into sales? I hear this all the time. Well, I've had a gift, of, a gift for gab. Uh, gift for gab. Me too. And, yeah. and look, the, the unlimited uh, earning potential is a great reason to be in sales because we really do have it. But, but if you're not investing in yourself, uh, it, it, it's uh, actually the numbers I heard, and I'm sure yours are more correct. Is, is that the typical salesperson invests zero in themselves each year?
1: Zero. Yeah, right. And part of that is, and and this is a, um, this is interesting because you know the majority of salespeople, uh, even though they don't study their craft, and admittedly they say, well, you know, I haven't read a book. I I learned by you know baptism by fire. I just got out there and worked hard, and uh, well that that's the old school way of living. You know, you can, you can bypass all that by, by studying best practices, by meant being mentored, by finding people to do that. But the, the gift of where people say, well, you know, I'm just, I like talking to people. Salespeople shouldn't like talking to people. Salespeople should like asking questions because if you become a good questioner and you listen better, you're going to be because a, A great question is better than an awesome answer. And if you don't ask the question, if you come in and just have oral diarrhea or what I uh, describe it as oratorical claustrophobia, fear of silence, is if you notice, and, and we all can do this, think about people that you know that are successful in sales or sales management. The majority of those people that you know, with exception, that make more money will be often very, a little more quiet, a little more introspective, uh, very kind of provoking, they ask questions about you, and you may not know that much about them, because they don't talk about themselves. They engage and ask people questions as soon as they get in the room. They ask questions, they know how to ask those questions. So that's a powerful, uh, you know, powerful tool, um, you know, to ask. So when people say, you know, I've got a gift for gab, like your your point, or, you know, I love that communicating. There could be trouble in paradise.
0: Yep. 100. <laughs> by the way, if you're watching this on the replay, please put replay into the comments. And if you have any questions for Dr. Russ, put them in the comments too. I'll get them right to him. Um, so what's the different, by by the way, before I go on to my next question, I'm in hundred percent agreement. Uh, look, I'm a professional speaker and trainer. I get paid to speak, but when I'm selling I get paid to ask questions and listen, you and I and our friend Lee, we all agree. It's not about your brilliant pitch. It's not about your closing skills. It's about the ability to make friends with people, get them to like you and trust you, and then ask great questions and listen actively. I find so often salespeople will ask a question. The prospect is actually answering the question and telling them exactly what they need to know in order to help the prospect choose to do business with them, but they interrupt them. Right? It's crazy. Be a better listener. Be a better question asker and a great listener. That's the key to selling. Yeah. So what do you find is the difference in, in how we sell to in today's post-pandemic environment?
1: It's um, changed? Yeah. A uh, big difference is and it, a pandemic is kind of, um, it's a little bit a fear-based selling on steroids. But if when you think about it, if we take the pandemic, if we take a recession, if we take a depression, if we look at um, problems that were going on uh, for example the Gulf War the Afghan war 911 um, anytime there is a crisis or something looming in America what happens is we go we go from a opportunity based selling opportunity to a fear-based opportunity and right now we're in a fear-based sales model I don't know if everybody would agree with that but in essence people are, you know our article in the wall street journal wednesday um can't decide it could be pandemic stress very interesting article on wall street on wednesday about how the pandemic is influencing our psychology and our inability to make decisions um and how that relates to um what we're talking about is in a fear-based economy salespeople have to be aware that people are uh you know um, fear of risk is stronger than the desire for gain, fear of loss, stronger than the desire for gain. So salespeople that study the this opportunity-based um, versus fear-based, they're able to adjust their, their questions. They're able to adjust their presentation. Um, great example. In a recession, a financial services salesperson might say, I want you to give me your money to manage because I'm going to reduce the amount that you may lose next year. You know, you lost 10% last year. Give me your money. We're not going to lose more than 5%. Yeah, here, right? In a recession, yes. In an opportunity-based, the sales financial says, give me your money. I know I can make 28% return. (laughs) 28, that's it? You know, (laughs) the guy down the street at Goldman Sachs made 32% last year. Well, so... There is a tremendous difference in fear-based versus opportunity-based selling. And in the pandemic world, we have to be aware of that. Number two is the fact that it is all remote, is sales is more digital, right? Some recent experience on Gardner Research said that over 40% of customers would rather have a sales rep-free experience. Well, boys and girls, we're out of business. If 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 you're old school and you say, you know, I like building relationships. I, I Jeff, I like to get to know you. I want to, you know, um, that's a fallacy. You're not going to build relationships. If any of you are out there, if you use the term old school, right? We love that one. You know, Russ, I'm old school. I just like to meet people, slap them on the back. Well, a, they're gonna, it's going to be some kind of issue if you slap them or touch them at all. But. If you claim that you are old school and you are good at building relationships and getting to know people, you've just admitted you're a dinosaur. So we have to be aware that today's digital space is, you and I have to be good on Zoom. And yes, boys and girls, I am getting a new camera, by the way, because you think I'm in a dungeon somewhere (laughs) uh, compared to Jeff. But we have to be and have to practice and rehearse and train to sell more in a digital space from powerpoint presentations to zoom calls to how we look online to making sure we have a haircut to make sure our hair is done that no noise there's no dogs barking you know if you have a cat sitting on the on your lap don't ever call me to sell me something okay because it's not going to happen so we have to be very aware of the um of of how um, we sell in a fear-based economy because people Anybody been ghosted by anybody lately, right? So we have to be aware that people are buying. They're buying because of a specific need. They're not buying on emotion. They've got, they're overloaded with emotions. They're buying on practicality. Can you save me money, make me money, make my life easier, make something more relaxed? Focus on the critical benefits to that particular customer.
0: I think it always boils down to, you know, what are you bringing to the table? What is the final benefit to the customer? I, I'm going to disagree with you on the on the relationship thing, though. Even virtually, I still take the time to get to know people a little bit at the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. Admittedly, it's much shorter than it is in face-to-face yeah. selling because you don't have that much time. But uh, I am old school in some ways, but I've kept up over the years, over yeah. the last 50 years. And people still do business with people they like and trust, especially trust. Yeah. Of the two, the trust is much more important. and it, unless you've got what they want and they can't get it anywhere else, they're not they're going to go out of their way to not do business with you unless they trust you. So yeah. there's got to be a little bit of that.
1: <clears throat> let, let's let and, and I'm glad you brought that up. And I apologize because I was I was rather flippant um, with with my comment about relationships. Let me let me let me approach it from another way is. In terms of the traditional quote relationship building, there's a difference. Because we can look at it this way. And one of the things uh, in uh, uh, Neil Rackham's book, uh, Spin Selling, which, uh, again, if you haven't read it, go and buy the book, you know. But Neil Rackham talked about the challenger approach. And they and the research shows that salespeople that challenge a customer are more likely to sell more and make more money and and be more successful in selling. That doesn't mean they don't have a relationship. But when I talk about relationships, what I mean is... Most of the time when a salesperson is selling to a prospect, what they're not doing is they, they're building, quote, a relationship. But what they're initially doing is they're building trust based on a set of principles around, do you have a problem that I can solve? And if the salesperson can demonstrate that they can solve the problem, what happens after they have solved the problem and built this trust? What happens? A relationship. So the relationship, that's where it starts to take off. But many salespeople, when they go out and interview, and this is where it comes back to this fear-based economy, they when they go out and interview or try to persuade someone to hire them, is they say, well, I build relationships. And, and maybe that's a little bit of a naive approach. What, what we may want to say is, I build trust with clients. I find a value add. And as a result, a relationship is built. But what we do is we want to focus on customers' That we can actually um, sell to, so focus on high-value targets, you know, rather than the low fruit. One of the things that I uh, I encourage people to do is, if if you're a say if you're a smart sales rep, go after the high-value targets. What do you do with the small-value targets? What do you do with those? Give them to your competitors. Give them to your competitors because if you give your small customers, I and mean, many anytime small customers are a pain in the neck, right? They say they don't have any money. They demand a lot. The, you make the same commission rate. They they suck up your time and energy. Let those customers go to your competitors because it'll keep them busy while you go after the bigger customers. And they'll be so grateful that you're sending them free leads that they'll be they'll just love you. And then you go off and it'll 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 take them off your scent. You know, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's like throwing a bone to the bad dogs over there so you can run like hell. You know.
0: I actually have friendly competitors right here on Long Island who I like very, very much. But I'm—I have the same exact thing. If some—if you're going to waste somebody's time, let me introduce you to one of my competitors. Go waste their time because I have no time to waste. And, and you're right; they're happy to get the, the referrals and the leads. And I'm—I'm I'm free to do what I want to do. I, I'm with you. Uh, there's a Facebook user who said, "Good morning, Jeff. I'm sorry, without connecting your Facebook to uh, um, StreamYard, I don't know who you are. But good morning, right back at you." And Somebody said trusted advisor. And of course, that's exactly what we need to be. Yep. Uh, you know, not just Rackham, but in the book, The Challenger Sale, they talk about exactly the same thing, which you should read Rackham's book, even though it's a little bit older and The Challenger Sale from just a few years ago. Yeah, you know, people are looking for somebody who can give them good advice. They want to be taken care of. So you're a million yeah. percent right there. I know you're big on using LinkedIn, as am I. Why do you consider it uh, such a powerful tool? And how do you suggest salespeople use it effectively today?
1: Jeff, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the most powerful free tool right now on the planet for competitive intelligence, artificial intelligence, and marketing our products and services. LinkedIn, and and it's a, it can be a love hate relationship. Um, Look at it this way, when if you're looking, let's, from two perspectives, if you're looking for a job, If you don't have a robust LinkedIn profile, you're obsolete. People aren't gonna find you. Headhunters like me aren't gonna find you. HR professionals aren't gonna find you. Uh, It's gonna be difficult for you to find a new opportunity. So A, if you don't have a a robust profile, people are gonna gloss over it. Um, If you don't have a robust profile, um, companies aren't gonna believe that you are using this platform in a sophisticated manner to sell i build relationships that okay let's not even talk about that linkedin is people many times think it's a, it's about connections it's not about connections linkedin affords you to do research and competitive intelligence on understanding what jeff is interested in before you make a phone call to him it's connecting with people that may know him it's setting picks and understanding what a company does, what their culture is all about. So if you're not using LinkedIn to even looking at, if you're going to visit a customer, right, is look at their LinkedIn profile, see what kind of connections they have or what kind of companies they work for. People are revealing on LinkedIn, if they have a, a decent profile, people are giving you clues to who they are, what their personality is like. You, you have a chance, if they have a picture up, they give you a chance. If, if they have a picture up and they and you can guess, well, they're probably about 45 to 50 years old. You can adapt your vocabulary. You can adapt your references to movies, TV shows, uh, subtle reference points. Um, you can you can relate to if they're 45 years old. Maybe they have kids that are six to seven years old if they're married or, or not. Right. So you can make all of these kind of assumptions in terms of how you connect with them in that conversation and LinkedIn, it's all right there it's all right in front of your face so so one is that you you can use it as a as an interview tool to make sure you look robust online and number two is you can use it that it, it validates uh it, it validates who you are so that when your customer now looks at your linkedin profile they say wow i guess russ and jeff are who they say they are i guess they are who I felt they were when we met or when we had a phone call. So your LinkedIn profile is your vision to the world. This What the world looks at your LinkedIn profile and they're saying, so is this about as much as he's going to give me? This is it. It's a free platform, you know, and I encourage people to pay the 60 bucks a month for the LinkedIn premium because you get a lot more bells and whistles in it. But people are going to look at this and say, is this about as much effort as they're going to put into selling in the new world at work, in the new technology space. If you don't have a decent LinkedIn profile, I won't call you, other headhunters won't call you, other people won't find you. And if you say, you know, I really don't see the value of LinkedIn, then you sound naive. And this is where we're talking about being pretty blunt, right, pretty direct. I guarantee you, if I have a candidate or someone says I'm looking for make a job change, If I look at that LinkedIn profile and it's not very robust, I will ask that candidate uh, that you need to improve this if you don't know how to improve it. And here again, I do some coaching for people if they're ever interested. I do, you know, resume and, you know, I I can coach people on that. But but um, what I encourage people to do is your LinkedIn profile is either going to get you a better offer or it's going to sabotage your opportunities to get a job and you're going to be looking for a long, long time. So. Take LinkedIn very, very seriously.
0: Complete agreement. Uh, yeah. I, I guarantee you this. If you're going to try to sell me something, you bet I'm going to your profile before you and I have a conversation. And if I'm going to try to sell you something, I'm going on your profile profile right. to learn as much as I possibly can about you. So um, do you have any general tips? I mean, I, I, I'm no LinkedIn expert, but uh, I, I certainly have worked with one. And, and some of the things I think are, let's have a professional picture picture up there this is not facebook this is not you holding a fish uh so have a professional picture have a good headline that account executive sales representative that blows tell me how you help people and then fill out your experience and what i I really look for are the recommendations
1: you know yeah i um a bunch of
0: recommendations that are strong that says something to me
1: you know it's interesting uh hold on i didn't turn that off uh you know what's interesting jeff is for me the recommendations uh I don't put it, I personally don't put as much emphasis on the recommendations, um, but but people that are looking for a new opportunity may want to do that. Um, so there is some value there as well. But to your point, some of the, some of the key points on LinkedIn that you want to have is if you're looking for it, if, if, there's, if you're unemployed, your LinkedIn profile, you want to show your, if you're unemployed looking for a new job, your LinkedIn profile should focus on what your target audience is. So in essence, your LinkedIn profile, you should tailor your LinkedIn profile to, to attract the person that can write the job offer for you. So that would be a VP of sales, a president, a general manager, whatever. Uh, it's not a summary of your whereabouts since you were in preschool. Uh, it really should focus on you, the energy that you bring, the, the, um, uh, the value that you bring to the marketplace. So you can't be all things to all people on LinkedIn. So, your headline on your LinkedIn profile under a good picture, Sans the Muskie that you're holding, you know, that you caught up in Lake Winnebago, um, is a good professional picture. Make sure you have your phone number and your email address on your contact. People say, hey, get a hold of me. No phone number. Can't call you. Next guy. Um, make sure that you state, if you're looking for work, seeking a account manager, seeking a national account manager in a packaging industry, for, be specific in what you want. In your about section, you have your summary section on LinkedIn. Instead of telling me, because many times people will say, they'll give us a summary, right? It'll be generic. Like I am a proven uh, visionary with uh, exemplary experience and an expert in negotiations, persuasion, and communication, right? We'll make this statement. And what it really is, 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 is Russ's opinion of Russ. That's what it is. This is what I think I am. Someone could say, well, prove to me that you're an expert in this or that. You have excellent, prove to me that you have excellent communication skills. Instead of telling people what you are, if you're a sales professional, what do we talk about? Asking good questions. So in your about section, in your summary section, maybe consider asking questions. Are you looking for someone who has had success in selling in COVID environment? Are you looking for someone who has opened up 30 new companies in 20 days and 30 30 verticals? Are you looking for someone who has had over 56 hours of sales training in the last five years, right? Show them you're a sales rep, ask the questions. You are now the answer to the question and then the call to action. If you're looking for someone like this, call me right now. Here's my cell phone number. So Absolutely, that's... great example, right? Um, another big thing, too, is making sure that in your summaries of your jobs, it shouldn't read like your resume. Create enough content. Put some bullet points in there to ask people. You know, like, like you could say, you know, grew, grew territory by 3 million over two years. Make people say, wow, how did you do that? Right? Don't tell me what you did. Make people ask you how you did that so you can have a conversation. The last part, which I think is, is, is important too, is joining groups. Is the majority of salespeople on LinkedIn don't even tap into the, the opportunity to join groups of um, not their peers. Like, for example, me as a headhunter, I don't join other headhunter groups. A, I don't want people to learn all my secrets, right? Um, headhunters like to play in their own sandbox, right, as you know. So the last thing I want to do is talk about is talk to other headhunters. That doesn't turn me on. What I join is I join groups of presidents, CEOs, chief marketing officers. Exactly. Um, I join groups of people that will hire me to retain them to find talent. When I join these groups, what I do is I add content. Maybe I'll post an article. Maybe I'll write an article. LinkedIn always has to be about giving back to you, to the audience. As soon as it starts like an infomercial, you're out of the box. You're going to be kicked out. So give people good content so that if they share it with other people, you're linked with the algorithms. But what it also does is if you start good questions or good discussion points, people now see you as a little bit more intellectual. You're asking good questions. You've got good vocabulary they remember who you are and then maybe you'll get a lead at some point you know down the road um but groups allow us to connect i mean for example if if i wanted to post an article or for example after this after you do this and you have this replay i could take this link and and put it in the groups that i belong to and say hey boys and girls thought you might like this article that talks about how salespeople can improve their skills and yada yada whatever we say I could put that link in the groups that I belong to. And within about 40 minutes of me, click, paste, click, paste, I could reach over 5 million, did I say 5 million, 5 million LinkedIn users that are part of all these groups, 5 million. Now are 5 million people going to see my, my face and your face? No, they're not. Are 250 million, no. Maybe a small percentage, but still uh, 1% of 5 million is, it's not bad, right? Jesus, remember Jesus, when he fed the multitude with the, the, he fed the fish and bread and they said there was a multitudes of people. I'm okay with multitudes, you know? So that's a great example on how salespeople can tap into groups by adding content. You become associated with a good story. And people remember you and you can also link and connect with people in that group saying, hey, maybe you're looking for someone. So but so that's if you're looking for a job, if you're not looking for a job, make sure that you join groups of maybe customers and vendors or suppliers, uh, you know, understand follow what, what are they talking about? What are the trends? What are the problems? What are the big issues going on that you can help them solve?
0: That's where I find the groups to be fabulous uh, for business development. Like you, I'm not in groups with other salespeople. Uh, I'm not in groups with other sales trainers. I'm in groups with CEOs, company presidents, and VPs of sales, because that's who buys my training services. And I simply look for the questions that they're asking. And if that's my area of expertise, I am generously giving them what I would normally charge them for, because there's no way in a paragraph of answering their question. They're going to go, well, I guess I don't need to hire Jeff. And on a fairly regular basis, I will have somebody reach out to me and go, hey, I really liked your answer. Can we talk about you doing some work for my company? It, it, it's cheap. I mean, I don't have the paid version of LinkedIn like uh, like you. Yeah. I understand that Sales Navigator gives you all kinds of ex- extended uh, accessories, but I just don't need it. Uh, giving generously, posting great content, answering people's questions. It really brings people to you. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Russ Riendow. He's a behavioral scientist, and he has a professional headhunter who's place thousands and thousands of people. You mentioned the phrase statute of blame nations. What the heck does that mean? It
1: sure sounds funny. It does sound funny, right? Um, the statute of blame nations is, um, salespeople, um, many times salespeople, I guess everybody, but we'll, 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 we'll beat up on our own tribe here for a minute. Um, when we are in sales, we sometimes come up with excuses on why we weren't more successful. Why didn't we make more money? Why didn't we close more deals? The boss says, Hey, you know, did you, did you close the Penske account? You know, I said, no, no there was a problem. There was a recession or whatever. Um, the statue of blamitation basically says, it, it's just the concept of stop blaming others and other things for your lack of uh, success or achievement in something. And that's pretty blunt, but it's about accountability. It's about transparency. It's about accepting our, our strengths and, and weaknesses. Um, otherwise, we sound like a victim, right? Um, when a salesperson calls me and says, well, I got laid off. My first question is, why did they lay you off and not someone else? Um Do you have a response to that? How are you going to explain that to a customer? Why are you why were you expendable versus someone else? Now, yes, there are exceptions. Companies, mergers, acquisitions, uh, duplicity of sales teams. A new boss comes in and doesn't want anybody from the old farm system. Right. They want to bring in their own people. I get that. Make sure that you have validation to why that was that actually was happening. And um, um, so many salespeople, Jeff, uh, and, and we all do this, but salespeople have to accept the fact that decisions that you make today impact everything that you do from now on, even from job changes. So um, a great line, uh, Dan Pink, who's a, a author of a lot of different stuff that people have read, and Dan has written some endorsements for books that I've written. But one of the phrases he had in one of his books called Driven, I think it was Driven, was... You can't talk your way out of the behavior that got you here. Right? No matter what you tell me, if you're not doing if if you're doing something different than what you tell me, I don't believe you. A lot of people have great philosophy. Jeff, how do you know what's your philosophy on sales training? You might have a great philosophy, but if you're not practicing it, if I don't see you behaving the way your philosophy that you say is, is true, then it's not true. So more people are interested in what your process is, what your sales process is, than your sales philosophy. Because I know if you have a good sales process, a good methodology, I'm going to assume that you have a good philosophy. And even if your philosophy is crap, if you have a good sales process, you're you're still gonna be successful. So so that doesn't matter. But the, I think a reason why, um, a lot of a lot of salespeople will change jobs more frequently is they don't have a good sales process, a good strategy, and they leave a job to get out of somewhere instead of wanting to get into something. Um, and I don't know if this is a good time to, to bring there's an analogy that I use, I talk about the, the job vending machine on the Web, right? We all kind of look at when, when we're unhappy in our job, what do we do? We go and look for jobs on the web. We look for people that are, you know, so we can apply for a job. Um, and people call me, Russ, I'm looking to make a job change. What do you got, right? What's hot out there? What are you seeing in the market? All these cliches that we all use. I, you know, I do the same thing. But here's the, here's the challenge is, You're relying, if you call me looking for a new job, you're relying on me to be competent and have good judgment as to what I think are good companies to work for. What if if I have bad judgment? What if I work with companies that are in trouble? What if I work in low-hanging fruit? What if I work with companies that only want to pay uh, cheap fees? So people look at many times the web as a job vending machine. They see this little vending machine with the numbers and they see the clever packaging and they go, oh, that job looks interesting. F2. And they hit the button and all this job spins down and you pull it out and it's shiny packaging, but it's a bunch of junk food. So what's the answer to that? I'm I'm being a little bit cynical, but the answer to that is if you are in sales, make sure you do your research. Instead of just calling an executive recruiter or looking at jobs on Indeed or LinkedIn or CareerBuilder or wherever, Zip or Zap or wherever you want to go, is instead of just going out looking for jobs that you think fit you, goes back to deeper motivation. Focus more and listen to what, what do you want to do, right? The question is, what would you look for in a job that you don't have now, right? What would you look for in a job that you don't have now? It can't be money. Because you say, well, I want more money. Well, if you can't make more money in this job, you, now you're going to go over here and start all over again. Why aren't you making more money? Well, my industry doesn't pay very well. Well, you've been there five years. Who sold you on that plan, right? Um, so, so do the research and focus your energy on what am I good at? What kind of culture do I want to work in? Do I want a long or short-term sales cycle? Do I want an expensive product? Or a, a, you know, short or long-term transaction. Do I want to sell to to groups or associations or individual? Do some deeper dives. Remember that you asked early on, deeper motivation. Know what you are and focus your energy on understanding what drives and compels you. And then look for industries and products and services that appeal to you that will fit. Instead of chasing the shiny magpie, right? Uh, You know, one of the jokes that... is um, uh, people get into medical sales because their mom would like that. You know, Johnny, he sells right, uh, he, he sells to doctors. You know, he sells to, uh, I'm going to New York. Is, is that New York? He sells to doctors. He's in the hospital all the time. He's, he's, he's always talking to the doctors. He's in the operating room today. He came home, he had blood on his tie. <laughs> um, so um, people chase jobs because they sound cool. They look cool. But they don't fit their 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 personality and their persona, and that's why you see a lot of times people making rapid job changes is because they're chasing something that isn't you know right for them, or they're listening to a recruiter that says, "Well, I've got this opportunity." Oh, that sounds good, and sometimes it works out. And you know, for you know, um, but yeah, um, welcome to Statue of Blame Nations. And
0: Dr. Rich Atkins says he loves the internet job vending machine analogy. (laughs) Uh, And I love what you're saying, uh, because this is not just a sales lesson, but a life lesson. Uh, It's all about personal responsibility. You you can blame all you want, except, you know, it it always boils down to my coach has certainly taught me a gazillion things. But one of them is uh, you can't change anybody else or anything else. You can only fix the person in the mirror. And it comes down to, you know, what am I going to do? What, what responsibility am I going to take for my,
1: Boy, my personal success
0: and satisfaction in life? I, um, I want to ask you a different question. Now, many people, uh, and I've run into, you know, thousands of, of them over my career, and I've been involved in it myself. Many people think that they want to go into sales management until they actually do and they find out how hard it is. Um, and they're often very dismayed that they've made that decision. But yeah. if a salesperson actually does want to get into sales management, what can they start to do?
1: Oh, wow. Great, great question. Um, I think the first question is, is um, what percent here, uh, here again, a little pop quiz for the audience. What percent of companies actually promote people into management roles? What percent folks out there? Um, I've been doing this. I've been doing executive recruiting since the late 1800s. Um, seems like it but um, I started got the white hair, hair but uh, yeah. Oh, sure it's, yeah it's uh, it's it, it got gray very quickly working straight Commission I'll tell you, um, there you go. I, I started doing I started doing search in 1985 um, and I continued to do research around people uh, promotion uh, getting promoted in companies sales sales management the empirical data uh, anecdotal data says of people will not get promoted if they stay with their own company. Less than 10% of people that go to work at IBM or Kraft Foods selling whatever, tomato soup or macaroni and cheese, less than 10% will actually move into leadership roles. That's discouraging, isn't it? But when companies, what do companies say on there? We love to promote from within. We build and grow people. We train you. You're part of the culture, the family. Well, what else are they going to say? You know, join Kraft Foods where you're going to have a mediocre job for the rest of your life. Oh, that's for me. I think I'll push that one on the vending machine. It's on sale. Um, So if you want to get into management, the chances are you're going to not be a manager in your current company. Plus, it's also very hard. To, to turn around and be one of the boys and girls. And now you're coaching them because now you all, you know, the dark secrets, you know what happened in the hotel lobby back in 1998 uh, that people don't talk about. Um, it's very difficult to manage your peers. So that's why head coaches are fired. How many times does this, when was the last time you saw in football, an assistant coach take over when the head coach was fired? Uh, never because I don't watch football, but I'm guessing it's right. Hockey, basketball, badminton, right? When was it rarely does the assistant coach take over for the head coach, right? Because they're not ready. But they, so when the head coach quits, the assistant coach quits and then goes and gets a head coach gig somewhere else. But the point is, if you want to be a manager, make sure that you want to be a manager for the right reasons. Does it sound good? Do you think that's the way you should go? But if you want to be a manager, make sure you start to study your craft. The, you know, the line is, well, people say, well, I want to be a manager, but how can I get experience if no one will hire me? Well, the, the, it goes back to being proactive. What are you doing to prove to me that you want to be a manager? Are you going back to school to get your MBA or taking leadership courses? Are you, are you um, volunteering to uh, at, at your church or synagogue or uh, uh, wherever to uh, lead a team? Are you doing things that demonstrate that you are trying to learn about being a leader? Have you ever led people before, right? Are you willing to take the risks? Are you good at decision-making? Are you reading books and webinars and TED Talks and watching Jeff? Uh, What are you doing to prove to me that you're a better risk to hire than the other guy down the street or the other girl down the street that wants this job? So you have to prove that you are working on your craft to want to be a manager uh otherwise you're not going to be a manager and if you're if you're you know some of the data out there also suggests that if a person's not a manager by 35 either they don't want to be a manager or they haven't really decided what they're willing to do to be a manager right um there's a lot of people you know like you and i you know i've been doing i've been you know September 15th 1985 was the last salary check that I got. I was in the home building industry. I left in September 15th 1985 and I have never gotten a guaranteed salary. So every day like you as an independent business owner, I wake up every day literally virtually unemployed, right? So as a as a sole proprietor doing recruiting um um but I'm okay with that. I make a nice living. It gives me, it affords me a nice lifestyle. I can, I can be with the, with the family. I can, I can work on my health and make sure my wellness is good, so I stay healthy. But there are risks that go with that because if, if I go down, if I get an engine knock or, or you know, or I get a flat tire, I'm not generating income. But some people are very uncomfortable with that. I'm comfortable. Like Jeff, you you're comfortable with that as well. Some people don't have that appetite to want to do that. That's fine, right? Less than one percent of people actually go on to be entrepreneurs, but from a leadership standpoint, um, you really want to make sure that are you doing it for the right reasons? Because management is hard work, right? It is hard work, and when they cut, that's the people they cut. They never cut the the top sales reps. They make a lot of money. They're in Jamaica when they lay everybody off, right? Because the guy, you know, the the, the couple's on in Jamaica celebrating that he won salesman of the year, right? Um, and uh, and his boss gets laid off while he's out of town. <laughs> so sorry, you're gonna have to let you go. Um, so I don't know if that answered our question, but uh...
0: well, I, I think that. Uh... Often it, it sounds like a good thing. Oh, I want to become a sales manager because I'm going to make more money and work less hard. When it's actually, you're going to make less money than your top producers for sure, and you're going to work way hard. It, it's a very challenge. Look, I was I I was very very fortunate. I went to work for a company called Encyclopedia Britannica a million years ago. I became a top producer very very quickly, uh, be- only because by the way, it wasn't that I was a genius salesperson. I listened to everything they told me to do and did exactly that. Their training was brilliant. (laughs) And they came to me, my, my, my boss was the division manager. I I had a branch manager, but the division manager came to me and said, look, I'm going to train you how to become a manager. I'm like, I don't know that I want to go. Yes, you do. And they had great training. And, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be a manager. Um, uh, You have to truly be giving, you have to care about truly helping people and uh, you know, you do really, for me, the thing was always, I loved handing out big checks. I loved knowing that I helped somebody make, it's why part of why I love the job that I do now. I love when somebody calls me up and says, I tried that thing and it worked and I closed a deal or I got a promotion. Uh, But, but if you're not coming from the right place and if you're not willing to invest the time and learn how to do it, because to me, sales is one thing and sales management is completely the opposite. Right. Uh, so it, it, it can be a real challenge, and I think this is Dr. Rich who says sales management isn't sales; it's management. It's people skills, and it includes the function of training, leadership, coaching, and inspiring. I think that's Dr. Rich Atkins
1: telling us Amen. that. Amen. Amen. We only Amen. have a little bit of
0: time left. Uh, could you tell? I know you've written a bunch of them. Could you? Could you tell us about your book, "Somewhere Past Gum Creek"?
1: Yeah. Um, well, there's 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 a couple books that might be appropriate. So the the most recent book I wrote is "Somewhere Past Gum Creek," which is actually a book of poetry and prose. Um, it also features a bunch of artwork that I've done. So I really, I, I'm a curious guy. And and um, if, if you don't look for fun things outside of work, um, you know, you're going to kind of go nuts. So uh, Gum Creek is a really, it's a very uh, reflective, introspective kind of book that um, if you've never written, written uh, read poetry, it might be interesting. There's some neuroscience behind it too that shows that uh, reading poetry actually does help our overall wellness because of uh, the science and the brain chemistry that changes but another book that i wrote which p- p- people might like for our sales kids here is a book called the big swing which is a book about leadership sales and success that i used the chicago cubs winning the world series in 2016 as kind of the analogy for uh, and a metaphor for business success so that's a book that might help and there's an audiobook for you guys that like to listen to audiobooks a book that i wrote a few years ago called first hide the poison arrows and first hide the poison arrows is a book all about how to ask good questions so to our point about a good question uh is um and the uh the title came from an analogy of uh, um african tribes that before the uh various tribes would get together to uh discuss differences and try to come to uh agreements uh, everybody would take their poison spears, and one person would go and hide them in the woods, so that in the event that it got a little bit of heated, someone wasn't uh, sticking them with a poison spear. So first, you hide the poison arrows, then you have the discussion. Okay, uh, so you can find those on Amazon. So yeah, Brett Jeff, I appreciate your bringing that up. And um, um, if anybody has any questions around you know resumes or LinkedIn coaching, uh, if you're looking for a job. Or if you're a sales rep and you want to take it up a notch and you want to understand that, uh, you can certainly talk to me. Jeff is the guy to talk to for sales training. That's where his his energy is at. Um, I, I understand sales training, but I I help people find jobs and I help leaders find the right candidates. So what we're talking about, Jeff, today is we're not we're not promoting for someone to exploit or manipulate their success. You have to be able to document good success. So it's one thing to say. I have a good vocabulary or I study vocabulary, but can you prove that you're actually doing the work, right? show your work. So if you're a sales manager looking for talent, you want to use some of the things we've talked about today to use as questions when you're talking to a sales rep, see if that person is in that top 10%. Are they studying their craft? Are they using their LinkedIn profile? Because remember, you can't talk your way out of the behavior that got you here. It's analogous to, remember the old joke, the uh, sales rep dies suddenly and everybody's at his wake and they're all looking around, they're talking and, you know, boy, the, and someone finally says, you know, boy, you know, he looks pretty good. What he's in the casket, what killed him? And someone says, I think he had North Dakota and part of Montana. Okay. (laughs) So, um, you know, we have to be very aware of what. Is going on in our lives in terms of how we treat our career, how we invest in our career, what kind of time and effort we put in to our our career every day. Sometimes it's tough to get home, put the kids to bed, or do whatever you got to do. Go to the club, work out, uh, have something to eat, uh, catch, catch catch a little catch a little CNN, and hold on, I didn't hit the button, and catch a little CNN, and you go, I got to get to bed. I'm, I'm beat. It's hard to say, no, I've got an hour's worth of professional development study, or I'm going to watch a Jeff video or a TED talk or, you know, read a sales training book or whatever. I get that it's tough. The option is, is if you don't do that, your income's going to stagnate. Right. And you're going to have a problem. One, one thing to do is if, for all you folks out there, you want you want to do a little interesting. Uh, write a graph, do a graph of your income over the last eight years. Right. Draw the draw the uh, draw the chart and put money on the top, time on the bottom, and chart your W two and see does it look like is it look like Mount Everest, does it look like a hockey stick, is it flatlining, and look at that. And when you see what your income is doing, if you see a visual picture of your W two income, you look at that and say, what am I doing that I should be doing to increase my income? You can't blame anybody else. It's your brain that you're using. So do, do that graph and that might be, that's a good motivator sometimes to say, that's kind of ticking me off, right? Yeah, so. absolutely.
0: And what I suggest for us is just like everything else, schedule that personal development time put it on your calendar otherwise it's one of those things that yeah i know i should read a book or i know i should go to the gym. put it on i put everything on my calendar that way it has a better shot of getting it done by yeah. the way i did catch the the poison arrow title when i was on your website i loved it uh yeah. and if you guys uh are not already impressed enough with russ please go check out his website uh a rock albums he's a guitarist uh your painting I, I was really i'm not a great art guy i like what I like. I like Keith Herring, but I loved your stuff. I saw you drawing, uh, you know, oh, yeah. doing, doing live art in front of people. Very, very cool. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Uh it, it's really been a pleasure speaking yeah, with you. Any you. last words?
1: No, Jeff, I appreciate you having me. And anybody, if anybody has any questions, send me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, glad to talk with you um about any any questions you may have. And I, I will continue to encourage everybody out there, Jeff, is find uh, find motivation for something other than work. Um, and here again, I got a little bit of gray hair so I'm at a different stage in life where um, where you know work will eventually change and shift. so find things outside of your of your world in in terms of family and hobbies and wellness. find things that motivate you to generate more income, find more free time and build your wealth because if you if you build your world just on your work, uh, you're going to get to be 55 years old and you're going to be you're going to be pissed off that you didn't do more planning ahead of time. So um, find that passion and motivation. And sometimes it's not the job that is boring. It's you've, you haven't found something compelling enough to spend your money on. And uh, that's what I do with music and art and writing. So I appreciate you having me on, Jeff, today and uh, hope everybody has a great week and a great holiday. And uh, keep, keep selling. And for all you guys and girls that have Montana and South Dakota, I, I can't help you. Um, <laughs>
0: I'm, I, <laughs> I'm sharing my screen, would you like to just share with people the best way to reach you?
1: Best way to reach me is that is my cell phone number. And uh, another that email will work. And uh, russriendo at gmail.com. It's on my LinkedIn profile as well as my phone number. Uh, there's a bunch of articles on there as well that you can read for free. So, um, yeah, appreciate you having me, Jeff. It's it's great as always. Hope everybody has a great holiday too. And I,
0: th- I thank you for generously sharing your brilliance with us. And thank you to Lee who for introducing the two of us. And I'll end as I always do. Guys, please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a happy Halloween and a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, Russ.
1: Be well. Stay safe.